0: Welcome to the Capital News. I'm your host, Alex Karaitis. Today is Saturday, March twelfth, 2022. Thank you so much for joining me. The title of today's podcast, Dethroning King Dollar. This is a question a lot of people somewhat in mainstream finance, a lot on Twitter. There is a lot of discussion being thrown around right now with all of these sanctions in place and the weakness within the global economy that... The U.S. dollar in all of this is somehow going to be dethroned, that it is no longer going to be the reserve currency of the globe. Is that a possibility? That's what we're going to dive into here in today's podcast. However, there's a lot of other news to discuss, so we're going to talk a little bit about those other things as well. I obviously want to cover market performance we have to discuss the nickel market because of the rapid increase in prices last week in the LME, the London Metal Exchange, shutting down trading altogether for nickel. And likely, they, I mean, they better open the market next week because there is some very funny business going on here when it comes to the nickel market. And it's not good. Now, we had a similar discussion uh, a year ago, maybe even a little bit longer, I can't even remember how, with how jumbled everything gets, with GameStop and AMC and the stock market, the price of those shares skyrocketing in a massive short squeeze, hurting some major hedge funds. We talked about that at length. This is even worse uh, on, in, in several respects, and we'll get into that momentarily, but again, that's with the nickel market. Uh, Some comments made by Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi with respect to inflation, completely off the rails, no surprise, and our other fearless leader, Vice President Kamala Harris, again proving how stupid she really is. Somehow the Biden administration thought it prudent to send Kamala Harris over to Europe, over to Poland, to handle the situation that's going on there, with whether or not Poland is going to send... Airplanes, military aircraft to the Ukrainians in one way or another, either directly give them to us, we give them to them, blah, 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 all back and forth. Terrible communication, terrible policy, but guess what? We know exactly who to send to solve it. Vice President Kamala Harris, who once again proves that she is overwhelmed, has no idea what she's talking about, and is unfortunately an embarrassment to the United States of America. And unfortunately, the President of the United States, Joe Biden, is also an embarrassment to this country, as have been several of our prior presidents. That's why this country is in decline. Politically, economically, morally, ethically, you you, you name it, down the list. All of these issues. Doesn't need to be this way. Our best days can be ahead of us, they should be ahead of us, and I truly believe that they are ahead of us, but we have to get on the right path. And everything we are doing, in my estimation, is wrong. And that's not good. It's not good for us as Americans or for the Western free world. It's not good for the rest of the world because they are looking for leadership somewhere, And it's not coming from the United States of America. It's not coming from Canada. It's not coming from Europe. It's just a vacuum. It's a complete void. There is no leadership. And of course, there's not any type of responsibility or accountability out there. No, no, no. It's always somebody else's fault. $30 trillion in debt we have, Vladimir Putin's fault. 7.9% inflation, and of course it's much higher than that, Vladimir Putin's fault. Gas prices going through the roof, Vladimir Putin's fault. Crumbling infrastructure, Vladimir Putin's fault. Student debt, Putin. Kids can't read or write, do basic math, Putin. All of our problems, Putin's fault. They are not going to take any type of responsibility. Nancy Pelosi's comments about inflation. Oh, uh, inflation and our national debt, uh, that's not caused by government spending. Oh, no, no, no. In fact, government spending cures inflation and the national debt. These are her words. Now, I don't know if this woman is dumb enough to actually believe that, or she just has the audacity to say that to the American people. Either way, it's unjustifiable. It's grounds for dismissal. But there she is, behind a podium, speaking to the country, because of course it's going to get covered. She's the Speaker of the House. A very powerful person in this country. An extremely frightening proposition. When you understand the line of succession to the presidency. This is who's running the country. According to Nancy Pelosi, government spending does not contribute to our national debt. In fact, according to her, it's the reversal. It cures the national debt. I'm not making this stuff up. You can't. You can't make it up. This is what these people said. And, I'm, and I imagine some of them actually believe it. And I don't know which is more frightening. You can make the decision as to whether or not they believe it or whether they just have the audacity to look at you in the face and lie to you because they know better, but they don't care. Okay? So that's who we're dealing with. Those are our leaders. That's the face of the United States of America. Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi. God save us all. I want to talk about some of these Russian sh- sanctions because, of course, that ties into the theme here with today's podcast, dethroning King Dollar. How many sanctions are you going to put on countries before they start to realize, my goodness, the United States is always going to resort to putting on these types of economic sanctions, well, then maybe we'll just stop using dollars. That's how we'll get around these sanctions, at least in part. It's easier said than done, but you got to start somewhere somewhere if you're concerned that the United States is always going to levy some type of sanction against you because you do something that the United States and or Europe don't like you doing. They don't want you to do it, so we're going to put economic sanctions on you. You're not not going to be allowed to trade with other countries. You're not going to be allowed to partake in the SWIFT system, which is just the communication system of our financial system. So they say, well, uh, we don't like having these sanctions put on us. We're going to do some type of workaround. And that may be very well underway. We'll get into that further. Of course, that may mean that there is a deal between Russia and China. And most likely there is, because of some of the actions that have been underway for quite a while, because this stuff didn't just happen. Vladimir Putin just didn't decide on a Tuesday or whatever day it was to invade Ukraine. You understand, history, lots of times, almost all the time, there are deals made behind the scenes prior to an invasion, prior to the start of a conflict of a war. You want some type of assurance, you want some type of alliance, something that gives you insurance. Russia, Vladimir Putin would have been looking for some type of assurance from the Chinese. Because you're playing chess here. Not only do you have to think about your move, you have to think about, okay, if I do this, what is my opponent going to do in response? You have to think at least a couple moves ahead, if not more. Vladimir Putin would have had to have known that if he was to invade Ukraine, that there was going to be a response. There would be a response from the Ukrainians. There would be a response from NATO, the EU, and the United States of America, and maybe other countries as well. And you can sit there and you can war game this out. You can have your generals around a table. You can have your foreign policy advisors around a table, your intelligence chiefs, your economists, your central bankers, and you can say, okay, well, if we did it, Or if somebody did this to us, what would we do to them? It's not that difficult to think this through. And the Russians are known for playing chess. And again, I'm not siding with Russia. I'm just giving you their perspective. I'm just telling you what's going on here. The United States still has an immense amount of power. These sanctions that we are levying on the Russians are going to impact them in a negative way. But guess what? The actions that the Russians are taking in response are going to impact us as well. There is blowback to these sanctions. If somebody's buying, because, okay, so we're stopping trade or we're restricting trade, okay? Oh, well, we're just targeting the Russians. No, you're not just targeting the Russians. If they're selling, somebody's buying. Well, now the buyers aren't allowed to buy, so where are they going to go? You understand? You're not just hurting the Russians here. There's blowback on the United States, on Europe, and on other nations. Which is just going to make the situation in which we're already in worse. And I'm really talking about the inflationary pressures that exist globally. We talked about food prices. We're going to continue to talk about food prices again today as well because there's more news from the United Nations on what they're expecting to happen with food prices. And I imagine it'll be even worse than that. We'll get to that momentarily. Then, of course, we've had the United States reach out to Venezuela and Iran, you know, our, our, our best friends. I guess looking, uh, you know, don't join the side of the Russians. Uh, can, you, uh, can you increase the output of oil, uh, this, that, or the other? President Maduro of Venezuela told Joe Biden, basically, go pound salt. Nope, we're not doing it. Iran is walking away from the table with respect to nuclear talks. And, of course, here in the United States, where we should be energy independent, because we have a mother load of oil, natural gas, coal, with our engineers and scientists, we should have nuclear power, our technology should be here, but nope, can't do it. All of this stuff has to be cut off. And then you scratch your head, well, why are oil prices so high? Why are natural gas prices so high? Why are my utility bills going up? Why does it cost so much to put gas in my car? Well, it's all Putin's fault. That's what we're told, so that must be the truth. Couldn't be trillions of dollars thrown into the system over the past couple of years, courtesy of our central banks and federal governments. Oh, no, no, no. Can't be any of that. Not even close. Not allowed. That's not what we're told. So be good little boys and girls and just listen to what the government tells you. It's all Vladimir Putin's fault. Couldn't be our failed and flawed energy policies. Mm -mm. Couldn't be any of that. It's the Russians. They're the boogeyman. Check your closets. Check underneath your bed before you go to sleep. Because that's where Vladimir Putin is. He's coming to get you. Okay? Live in fear. So Venezuela says, nope, we're not going to help you out. Don't blame them. Because we've been screwing with them for quite a while, too. This is what happens, folks, when you start meddling in other people's businesses. Nah, well, eh. it all comes full circle eventually. So that's something else we have to pay close attention to. There are some stories, I don't know if these are verified yet, but there's some things that I've been hearing. Some protests are brewing in Iraq, uh, supposedly off of rising food prices. This is no surprise. It's going to happen one way or the other and then i guess there's some perhaps some missile attacks launches uh, that have taken place in iraq too so that's the story that might be developing so that's something we'll be mindful of but th- it's only going to get worse there's going to be a lot of distractions there's a lot of weakness here again because you got biden pelosi and kamala running the show uh if you looked at that from the outside world and you wanted to try to get away with some things uh, now would probably be the time to do it unfortunately and uh, we don't know what's going to escalate, but that's what's likely going to happen, is there's going to be escalation. Nobody's just going to come to the table and say, enough's enough. We've got to stop this stuff. It's not likely going to happen. It's going to escalate. And Vladimir Putin at this juncture is showing no signs of stopping uh, the invasion of Ukraine. So we'll keep you updated as we move forward. So market performance here, we have the University of Michigan consumer sentiment for the U.S. falling to to a reading of 59.7 in March of 2022 from 62.8 in February, well below market forecast of 61.4. It is the lowest reading since November of 2011 as inflation expectations rose sharply due to a surge in fuel prices and, of course, caused by the Russian invasion of Ukraine The current economic index fell to 67.8 from 68.2, while the expectations gauge sank to 54.4 from 59.4. The year-ahead expectation inflation rate, at 5.4%, rose to its highest level since 1981, and expected gas prices posted their largest monthly upward surge in decades. That's amazing, isn't it? Only 5.4%? The American people evidently have no idea what's in store for them. They're going to be praying for 5.4% inflation. On the commodity front, we have WTI at $109.33, closing upwards of 3% on Friday. Brent also up 3% in Friday's trading session, $112.67 a barrel. Natural gas also up 3% four dollars and seventy seven cents gold down one half a percent in friday's session one thousand nine hundred and eighty five dollars an ounce but still very close to an all-time high silver down slightly in friday's trading session twenty five dollars and eighty two cents copper four dollars and sixty one cents where do we have wheat wheat up three percent in friday's session $10.77 a bushel. Pulled back slightly. Some volatility in wheat prices. But they're unfortunately likely headed higher for the foreseeable future. We'll circle back to nickel. But let's continue through some of these other market metrics. The dollar index moving higher again. 99.08 on the dollar index. So the dollar continues to be you know, a wrecking ball. We are continuing to export inflation. The dollar can serve as a global wrecking ball, as I've explained many times over, but have to continuously remind the audience, new people joining the show, to understand that a lot of developing countries and countries that have a lot of currency risk are unable to issue debt in their domestic currency because of those risks. So in order to attract investors to buy their debt, to buy their government bonds, even corporate bonds of their nation's corporations, they're going to issue it in U.S. dollars. So there's a colossal amount of U.S. dollar-denominated debt out there. If the dollar continues to rise against a basket of currencies... And it's going to take more of those countries, their domestic currency, to pay off those bonds because they need the U.S. dollars. So that means there's fewer dollars that can go to supporting the people in those countries with whatever government policies, whatever government programs they may have established. Again, I'm not here to nitpick whether those countries have the right policies in place. I'm just telling you. They promise their people X. They need X amount of dollars to make that happen. But if they're using more of their dollars to pay off their debts, then they have less than X dollars to pay for those policies and programs. So you can imagine how people can get upset because there's going to be shortcomings. So what might the governments do in order to make up for those gaps? Well, they may increase taxes. They may have to remove subsidies on fuel, on transportation, on housing. Again, whatever those policies may be, people are stretched thin enough as it is. Those little tax increases or removal of subsidies can cause protests, can cause riots, can cause revolutions. Because it can be the final straw. So this is why this entire system is extremely fragile, because it's not going to take that much. It's just going to be the snowflake that causes the avalanche. That's all it's going to be. That's how fragile the system is. Stock market, major indexes closing down on Friday's session. The Dow gave back about seven-tenths of one percent, trading at 32,944 points. The S&P 500 gave back 1.3 percent trading at $4,204. The NASDAQ 100 gave back a little over 2% in Friday's trading session to close at 13,302 points. A lot of volatility in the markets this week. On a closing basis, on an intraday basis, that type of volatility, as I have been stating over the past couple of weeks, is not indicative of a bull market. It is indicative of a bear market, most likely the first innings. Of a prolonged bear market on the bond front we have Uncle Sam's 10-year junk note yielding just shy of 2% 1.99% there's been a lot of volatility in the bond market too. bond traders trying to figure out what's going on here should there be a flight to safety increasing the price of bonds putting pressure on yields to go lower or is the inflation, inflation genie out of the bottle and a sell-off in government debt with higher yields. The bond market, global bond markets, are some of the most manipulated markets on the planet because of central bank intervention. So it is one massive bubble. I still look to the bond market, to the credit markets, For the first signs of weakness, for the first signs to see where things might start to give way, where they might start to crack. But you have to understand, central banks, this is where they make their living. This is what they have been doing. They've been buying up all of, well, I shouldn't say all, don't want to go down that road, but they have been buying up a significant portion of government debt. Now, you remove them as a buyer of government debt, where do you think yields would be? They'd be through the roof. That's where the market would have them, because we shouldn't be in this type of environment. But we are, and all of this is going to come undone, and it can unravel extremely quickly. Now, I'm not going to get into it on today's podcast. Perhaps I'll do this uh, tomorrow or another day, but we'll look at the major averages and stock markets around the world, and we will look to see the performance of these indexes, and most of them have given up their gains over the past couple of years. In, a, in the order of a few short months, gains that for, for over the past year or two have been wiped out. That's how quickly this will unravel. This does not happen if you have fundamental economic growth. But when you have it due to funny money, it can evaporate as quickly as it came. And most likely it's going to evaporate even more quickly, more rapidly than when it came. That's what we're witnessing. So let's go back to the nickel market. So, as many of you are probably aware by now. Some of you I'm sure have been pay- paying closer attention to it, some of you maybe just hearing some of the news for the first time or just getting a, you know, a brief synopsis of it. There was a massive short squeeze that took place in the nickel market. Absolutely massive. That pushed nickel prices on an intraday basis to $100,000 a ton. Okay? For the past year, nickel was roughly around $20,000 a ton. Okay, so this is a big deal. All right, this is a big move. The individual who was heavily shorted, who had a major short position on nickel, is a Chinese tycoon who goes by the name Big Shot. That's what he probably calls himself. He calls himself a big shot. Billionaire. Manages one of the world's largest nickel producing companies. Okay. Had a major short position on. He got squeezed out of the position. People wanted to buy nickel. A lot of stuff that's going on here globally with these conflicts. We see it all over the place and other commodity prices going through the roof. Well, nickel was no exception, except perhaps the rate at which it increased. So you get these short squeezes, okay? If these prices go up there, okay, that's not good for somebody who is short. So they start to get squeezed out of their positions. They have to cover their positions because short sellers have to borrow money. They're on margin to enter those positions. In order to close those positions, they have to buy. So that type of buying, (laughs) if you have large amounts, guess what? It's going to put upward pressure on those prices so it can get worse and worse if there's major short positions. And that was the case here. And But it was basically just the big shot, this Chinese tycoon. Okay. So on paper, he would have lost several billion dollars. Several billion dollars. That's huge. Now, I know we're in the world of trillions, but several billion dollars is huge especially when it's on borrowed money, because now you have other counterparties at risk too. you got banks involved. you got brokerage houses involved here. Who's the bag holder? Who's going to make good on all of this? What other assets are going to have to be sold off to make these margin calls? Well, what the London Metals Exchange did is they just they stopped trading. And not only did they stop trading, which of course can happen from time to time, In the stock market, again, you you can cite what took place with GameStop and AMC and all that stuff that took place. It's one thing to stop trading. It's another thing to do what the LME did. And that was to say, well, if you lost money, uh, you're only going to lose so much because we're only going to honor a certain price level. So the $100,000, they're not, they're not going to honor the $100,000 price. I can't remember where they're going to settle the price at, but it's its much, much lower, maybe closer to $50,000, okay? So if you were right, if you were on the right side of this trade, meaning you were long nickel, and you thought you were going to make a windfall because these prices were going through the roof, you're now not going to realize those profits. You're going to get some of them, but you're not going to get all of them. And the big shot, what this amounts to, is a bailout. He's getting bailed out. And it's already been reported that he said he's going to continue to short the market. Now, maybe he's just being a wise guy, or maybe he will actually do it. I mean, at this juncture, why would he stop shorting it? He's not paying a penalty. He's being bailed out. So this throws a huge curveball at the markets. It calls into question the credibility of the LME. Because this type of action is not supposed to happen. This is not how markets are supposed to function. It's one thing to halt trading. Or to even stop it. For a temporary period. But there's a lot of collateral damage behind the scenes here. Which is why they have shut down the market for the past few days. Because they're trying to figure out. Who's going to end up dead here. Okay, I'm talking financially. Who are the counterparties? Who's going to be made... Who can be made whole? Who's going to have to be absorbed by who else? So other bailouts... And this is what I'm talking about. Billions of dollars is still a lot of money. But long story short, what you have to understand from all of this is it's a big club and you ain't in it. Because the big shot is getting bailed out. People who are on the right side of the trade, who are long silver, are not going... To be made whole. From what they were expecting. And the big shot. Again. Is getting a bailout. So everybody should be upset about this. Because this this is something that can happen. In other commodities as well. You want to talk about. Extremely. Let's say. Let's put it this way. You want to talk about other markets. That have large short positions on them. Silver gold, platinum, those are the top three. Silver, gold, and platinum. Nickel wasn't even close to being on that that list of the most heavily shorted metals or anything else for that matter. But you saw what happened. So this could easily happen in the precious metal space. And we know how heavily manipulated that space is now. We see the deferred prosecution agreements that come down the pike all the time for major, for major global banks who trade precious metals. Oh, you manipulated the gold and silver markets? That's okay. Slap on the wrist, pay a fine, and we won't prosecute you. Can't make it up. It's all on the record. It's a big club, folks. You ain't in it. So this is concerning because this is a pattern that is being repeated We saw what the Canadians did to the truckers and people who dared dared to protest their government or to question the lockdowns and saying enough is enough. Well, they were deemed terrorists, and Trudeau wanted to freeze their bank accounts. See how scary this is becoming? They disagree with you disagree with the government, they don't like what you're doing, you're frozen freeze your bank accounts, shut off your insurance, can't trade. And now they're going to set us up, no doubt about it, for central bank currencies, digital currencies, and you better be good boys and girls, you better listen, you better take your vitamins in the morning, you better do what they tell you to do, or they're going to shut you off. That's what's coming. The writing is on the wall. These people are out of control. They want, but and they want to control everything. And if and if we don't stop them, well, they're going to get away with it, because that's what they want. They want control. This is the Chinese credit system, the Chinese credit score system. You have to be good. If you're good, you have a high human capital human credit score, whatever they want to call it. You can go to the store. You can buy and sell. You're allowed. But if you protest or you say something we disagree with, you're cut off. It's where we're heading. It's very plain to see. Now, I'll keep the audience updated on some of these, uh, whatever it might be, whether it turns out to be breaking news or whatever happens with the nickel market or other commodities, because I don't think this is the last of this. Not for a second. But it's a true shame. What the LME decided to do here really is. So let's get back to food prices here. Because the FAO came out with another paper. Now I'm not going to go through this whole thing. This is 41 pages, but I am going to read the executive summary. Because it's timely. This is something that I think is extremely crucial. Because I think, and I hope I am wrong... I think a lot of people are going to end up starving to death because of what's taking place between Russia and Ukraine and just uh, with the whole host of everything else that's going on. So here's part of the executive summary. Market structure, trade profiles, and recent price trends. So market shares. The Russian Federation and Ukraine are among the most important producers of agricultural commodities in the world. Both countries are net exporters of agricultural products and they both play leading supply roles in global markets of foodstuffs and fertilizers where exportable supplies are often concentrated in a handful of countries this concentration could expose these markets to increased vulnerability to shocks and volatility in 2021 either the russia federation or ukraine or both ranked amongst the top three global exporters of wheat maize rapeseed, sunflower seeds, and sunflower oil, while the the Russian Federation also stood as the world's top exporter of nitrogen fertilizers and the second leading supplier of both potassic and phosphorus fertilizers. Trade Profiles Many countries that are highly dependent on imported foodstuffs and fertilizers, including several that fall into the least developed country, LDCs, and low-income food deficit countries, LIFDC groups, rely on Ukrainian and Russian food supplies to meet their consumption needs. Many of these countries, already prior to the conflict, had been grappling with the negative effects of high international food And fertilizer prices. This is why this is going to lead to revolution. Wheat prices, bread prices, a great barometer for revolutions. Risk analysis, assessing the risks emanating from the conflict. Trade risk. In Ukraine, the recent escalation of conflict has already led to port closures, the suspension of oil seeds crushing operations and the introduction of export licensing requirements for some crops, all of which could take a toll on the country's exports of grains and vegetable oils in the months ahead. It's also uncertain whether Ukraine will be able to harvest its crops during protracted conflict. Much uncertainty also surrounds Russian export prospects going forward, giving sales difficulties that may arise as a result of economic sanctions imposed on the country. As I was stating at the top of the podcast, yeah, you can put sanctions on them, but guess what? If somebody's selling, somebody's buying. This is the blowback. Price risk. FAO simulations gauging the potential impacts of a sudden and steep reduction in grain and sunflower seed exports by the two countries indicate that these shortfalls could only be partially compensated by alternative origins during the 2022-23 marketing season. The capacity of many of these origins to boost output and shipments may be limited by high production input costs. Worryingly, the result the resulting global supply gap could push up international food And feed prices by 8 to 22% above their already elevated levels. Let me repeat. Worryingly, the resulting global supply gap could push up international food and feed prices by 8 to 22% above their already elevated levels. That is huge. We've seen countries break out into protests and riots over a couple percentage point increase in taxes in a fuel sur- fuel surcharge It's all it takes 8 to 22% if the conflict keeps crude oil prices at high levels and prolongs the two countries reduced global export participation beyond the 22 excuse me, the 2022-2023 season. A considerable supply gap would remain in global grain and sunflower seed markets, even as alternative producing countries expand their output in response to the higher prices. This would keep international prices elevated well above baseline levels. Logistical risks. In Ukraine, there are also concerns that the conflict may result in damages to inland transport, infrastructure and seaports, as well as storage and processing infrastructure. This is all the more so given the limited capacity of alternatives, such as rail transport for seaports or smaller processing facilities for modern oil-seeds-crushing facilities, to compensate for the lack of operation. More generally, apprehensions also exist regarding increasing insurance premia for vessels destined to berth in the Black Sea region as these could as this could exacerbate the already elevated costs of maritime transportation compounding further on the final costs of internationally sourced food paid by importers. It goes on. I will continue with this assessment on another podcast. But again, I want to get back to some of these sanctions, some of these counter moves by the Russians, Because as I was saying for the past couple of weeks, it is likely that countries will start to hoard their goods, ban or restrict some of their exports. We cited Hungary as such an example, who was banning the export of their grains. Some other countries have started to do the same thing. Russia has basically announced that they are going to start banning exports of a whole bunch of other goods. Fertilizers, other grains, lumber, and they may continue this through the remainder of this year. So what Vladimir Putin is basically saying, you want to cut us off from the financial system, fine, we're going to cut you off from the global food supply. Okay, two can play at this game. You want to do something, perfectly fine, but we're going to respond. Now we'll see what's more important, your global liquidity or global food. And of course, they're both important. And of course, they can both be crippling if things shut down, and they are shutting down, because that's what the sanctions are. That's what the export bans are. It's shutting down. You're not going to get it. What else have we witnessed over the past year or so? We've seen China building up massive reserves of food. Okay, so this is what tells me that a deal has been struck between Russia and China. That Vladimir Putin would not have gone into Ukraine without having some sort of deal in place with China. Because, again, Vladimir Putin had to think this through. If I invade Ukraine, what's the United States, what's Europe, what are they going to do to me? Well, they're probably going to put some type of sanctions on me. Okay, that means I'm not going to be able to trade. with all of these people. Well, where else can I go? I got to do something. I have to feed my people. I have to keep my economy going. Well, there's China. There's 1.3 billion people. They need energy. They need Fed. Ah, seems to be a good deal. And then President Xi of China can say, well, uh, maybe we can get energy and food at a good price. Because Russia's going to be desperate now. They're going to be cut off from all these people. So maybe we'll get a good price. They're going to need something. Okay, they strike a deal. Most likely, that's what happened. Now, to get back to the, the topic of today with dethroning the dollar, and we'll con- this is going to be a very long conversation, and I'll go into, this, into de- de- deeper detail in subsequent podcasts. But what might the Chinese and the Russians do? But we know, for one, that they have been building up their gold reserves. This is something that's been taking place for the past several years. Russia has been reducing their holdings of U.S. dollars. So the Chinese and the Russians could get together, and they could simply say, well, I have all this energy. Um, You can pay me in gold. You can pay me in silver. You can pay me in euros. You can pay me in Chinese you want, You can pay me in a basket of currencies or hard assets, such as gold. We'll take it. That'll settle the trade. No use for US dollars. China, 1.3 billion people. That's a lot. That's a lot. And you can get some other countries to join ranks. Maybe Iran will join. Maybe Venezuela will join. Turkey, even though Turkey is a member of NATO. I mean, you had President Erdogan of Turkey basically saying, yeah, you, we, you could do trade in gold. You could do trade uh, in other currencies. Doesn't just have to be U.S. dollars. See what's going on here? Dethroning the dollar, I think inevitably it's going to happen. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's going to happen. Doesn't have to happen. But if we continue to do what we're doing, then yeah, the dollar is going to weaken. Other countries aren't going to want it. They're not going to want to be subject to sanctions because they're doing something that they think is in their best interest, but the United States says, no, that's not in our best interest. So we're going to put sanctions on you. You're not going to be able to trade in U.S. dollars. You're not going to be able to trade with blah, 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 blah. Well, they're going to say, screw you. We're just going to set up our own system then. We're not going to use U.S. dollars. How do you like that? We'll take gold. We'll take Euros. We'll take Chinese Yuan. We'll take Japanese Yen. We'll take a whole host of other things. Again, easier said than done, but if they're going to start, you got to start somewhere. This is the blowback. This is what happens when you meddle in other people's business. This was inevitable when we continue to do what we're doing. All of these fiat currencies are junk. They're all going to zero. That's where they belong. But it's going to take a while to get there. And there's going to be a lot of destruction in the process. And as I have been stating, despite the fact that we're seeing all of these skyrocketing in some cases, commodity prices, it's on the back of a dollar that is increasing against a basket of global currencies. Can you imagine what will happen to the price of these commodities if and when the U.S. dollar starts to weaken? And of course, that is weakening on a net-net basis. That's what 7.9% inflation means, that the dollar is weakening. But you have out-of-control inflation everywhere else too. So don't forget that. Just because the dollar index is up doesn't mean that the dollar is strengthening. It's just strengthening against those other currencies. It is still weakening on a net-net basis. You know it. You go to the grocery store. You're paying higher utility bills. You see it at the gas station. Okay? Those prices aren't lying to you. Your eyes aren't lying to you when you see those increases. And it's only going to get worse. So we covered a lot as we typically do. I was hoping to get into greater detail with dethroning King dollar, to be honest with you, but sometimes I get sidetracked in some of these other things that go a little bit longer. But it all ties in to this broader narrative. Higher prices are here to stay. Escalation, unfortunately, is likely going to be the result with this Ukrainian-Russian conflict and how the U.S. and Western forces respond. It's going to escalate. This escalation means it's a prolonged period of further volatility in the global markets, in the global supply chain, which basically concretes and cements in higher food prices, which will lead to more political uprising and instability. You had President Zelensky of the Ukraine urging farmers to plant their crops for the upcoming spring season. They understand what's going on here. President Macron of France warning of massive starvation in Africa. They know what's coming. And they had a hand in this. So you better be prepared. Because I've been telling you this for quite a while. Stay diversified, stay vigilant, and stay with the Capitol News. I am Alex Kritis. Godspeed.